Welcome to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. I'm your host, Stephanie Pavlantos. Today, I have Corey Keeler. And Corey, um, I'm going to just read a little bit of what she has done because there's, she's got a, a beautiful um, voice. She's been a singer. Um, she's been singing since she was a little girl. And this was one of your dreams, right? To always, you had a dream to sing. And, um, and, but you have been a producer and a performer. Um, I think you said on three albums, you both produced and performed on those. You were part of a compilation, which I think you said 10 other people. Um, you all wrote songs for this particular, it's called Songs of the Rabbi. You wrote for the Messianic Times, or you still do, I should say. And I find that interesting that, you know, you, you write and you're a copy editor and all those things, because that's all part of like, so much of the writing community that I've been a part of. Left that, brain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. So you're an artist and a, a writer. Um, you've been on Christian radio and you've also hosted a show back in the eighties called rock of ages. So yeah. you have done quite a bit, some music, some writing oh. and you're a mom and a wife. And so done a lot you've traveled a lot um you can tell us more about all of those things but welcome Corey I'm so glad to have you on thank you it's really great to be here um I really admire podcasters it's uh big commitments a lot of work mm -hmm. and uh to grow your audience you must be doing something right hopefully yeah I haven't had any singers on, so you're the first singer, oh. and I, yeah, so that's cool, because, okay. um, you know, I was telling you a little bit, but, you know, a lot of times that we can get kind of heavy and in scholarly things, and that's kind of my left brain, you know, and all <laughs> not that. me. Very <laughs> cerebral. I am not. <laughs> but I, I love that stuff, but I also adore music, and, mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to put some links at the end of the show for people to go and listen to some of your music. Some of your music is, I mean, the ones I saw were very touching and so well done. I love the videos. I love the the songs. Um, so great job. And I, I know that you have been a worship leader. I don't know if I mentioned that, but you've been a worship leader for 20 years. So yes. you want to maybe talk a little bit about how you've, you know, because from what I understand, you didn't even know you were Jewish as a child. Okay. Well, I'll just say very briefly that um, I've been actually in worship ministry for about 43 years. Okay. Um, but I found out that I had extensive Jewish lineage on both sides of my family when I had already been walking with the Lord for about 22 years. Wow. I had a real difficult time after I found out that, you know, through my mother, a conversation with her that, that we had some Jewish lineage, I thought to myself, wow, how do I reconcile being a Christian in the church for 22 years and being Jewish? I didn't even know what it meant to be Jewish. Um, that was like a foreign thing to me. And so, you know, you know, there's a lot of replacement theology taught in the churches. And so, some of what I had learned, there was a little bit of a disconnect between the Old and New Testaments. And for me, I always felt like the Bible was one continuous flow. And I couldn't understand why there was always this separation um, in the way that the scriptures were being taught. And I know now, you know, that my life had to come full circle and finding out that I was Jewish. But I ended up in a Messianic synagogue um, called Beth Amunah in Agoura Hills, California, and I never left. I'm still there. I love it. It's 20 years now. And I started leading wow. worship there about a year after I'd been there. About six months into it, I got onto the worship team. But the worship leader that they uh, had at the time stepped down, and there was a, an opening, and the rabbi approached me. And and I thought, are you sure you want me? <laughs> Because I've been a part of worship ministry, but I had never really actually led worship. And I didn't mm -hmm. feel proficient enough with my Hebrew. You know, you're when mm -hmm. you come into the Messianic Jewish community, you're kind of thrown into the pond and told right. to swim. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I think because I'm a singer, the, the guttural sounds came naturally for me. Um, the 
the pronunciation was a little easier because Hebrew's very melodic. So um, I just needed some mm -hmm. confidence to be able to actually lead that. You know, instead of being in the audience, mm -hmm. now I had to be on the stage. So I think six months of being on the worship team and just getting used to the flow of a very liturgical centered uh, congregation mm. was very helpful for me. Um, and then all the extensive musical experience I've had all my life. I've been singing since kindergarten. My testimony is uh, just coming to faith is actually I was invited as a little girl to church to Sunday school. And um, I remember going down, my mother would give me a nickel and some pennies, you know, to put in the little offering. And, and my mother was an atheist, you know, my dad was agnostic. And, and I used to go down the street to the Sunday school and um, just really gave my heart mm. to the Lord. And I was six years old. Um, so that was a long wow. time ago. And uh, just really fell in love with Jesus. And I was never properly brought up in the Lord or discipled. I didn't have any of that instruction at home. So I think I did the best I could. I had faith. But mm -hmm. by the time I was almost 19 years old, I managed to mess up my life pretty good. <laughs> um, and lived with a boyfriend that I had gotten engaged to. And then we broke up and um, I looked for love in all the wrong places and you know, I occasionally smoked pot and I just thought I was a really good person. I didn't hurt anybody and I had no clue whatsoever how to really follow the Lord because like I said, I was never discipled. So on the very tail end of the Jesus revolution here in California, Southern California, um, I found the Lord in a Calvary chapel. I gave my heart mm. completely. It wasn't like I was saying, oh, I believe now. Because I always believed. Now I was submitting mm -hmm. to the Lord and making him not just my savior. And with some fire insurance, he was my Lord. Right. And I learned how to let him be my Lord and have my life. And that my life was no longer my own. And my decisions were not my own. And really, what a relief that is, you know? That that I don't have yes. to do this on my own. I can I can lean on him and hold on to him. And when I'm not sure about something, Absolutely. he he sets me straight. And uh, that was 43 mm -hmm. years ago, so 1981. Yeah, yeah. I'm dating myself. Wow. Well, I know I was around yeah. that time too. I I was probably early seven, actually probably mid 70s. Mm -hmm. I was 11. Oh yeah. And so little, I think you and I are probably close to the yeah. same age. And so I was just a little bit younger and it was in a VBS. Yeah. I was, yeah, yeah. I went to VBS so, too. Yeah. Uh huh. But you brought up a couple things that we, we hadn't even talked about, but you, you made me think about these things. Number one, the biggest change came when you were discipled. And I have to say that was the same for me. I was trying to live according to what I thought I needed to be and what I thought I had. I thought I was a pretty good person, like yeah. you said, you know, but it was once I was discipled, once I was in my twenties, um, someone's, a woman came into my life and started discipling me. And that made a difference, obviously in your life. And it made a huge difference in yeah. mine as well. So I think that we can't dismiss that discipleship. Oh, yeah. Um, and they're not talking about it too much in a lot of churches. No. Don't get me started mm -hmm. because I, I have a big, I have a but big it's important with uh, leadership right now in churches. We we need to step to the plate because we're we're heading into some really really dark times. So anyway, that's a whole other. And we need discipleship. We need, but we also need to be yeah. teachable because. Discipleship has to yeah. go two ways. And if you are not willing to be discipled, then you will not yeah. be discipled. And I didn't even know yeah, I needed true. it. But once I had a little bit of what she was telling me, then it was like, oh, I need oh. more of this. And <laughs> I I had yeah. my first aha moment uh, after I gave my heart to the Lord. There was the baptism that happened within just a few mm. weeks. And so here I am just a real raw baby believer, 
I just turned 19 years old. I was now living back with my parents, moved out of the boyfriend's house and just trying to get my act together and figure out how do I do this, you know? And so I plugged in and thought, okay, I need to be baptized. I've never been baptized before. So I showed up at the baptism ministering bikini. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea, you know, so yeah, I think uh, discipleship is a very important commodity, (laughs) very important principle (laughs) to know. So yeah, I I learned since then, you know, that, that I was causing people to stumble and, I thought, you know, I'm going to be baptized. I'm going in water, you you know, got to wear my bathing suit. So, yeah, well. And being a California girl, that's what you did, right? Yeah, you know, we used to follow the guys, all the surfers down to the beach right after services. And we'd sit there on the beach in our little string bikinis with our, our lunches, you know, and hang out with the guys and, you know. And so several of the guys and the girls were hooking up until we finally learned that hooking up was not was not good and was not right. And I'd never heard the word fornication in my life. I thought if you love somebody, you should be able to have sex with them, right? And, and I and I didn't know that sex was designed for marriage between a man and a woman. It's it's amazing that we even have to make sure we define that nowadays, but it's between yes. a man. A biological man and a biological yeah. woman, you know, it's it's yes. whole another conversation. <laughs> but yeah, but you also brought up holiness because there was a big difference um, when we first come to the Savior. But when we first make that step, you know, we yeah. are babes, like you said, and and but we have to know that, um, like the Bible says. I mean, we have to come to a point where we stop drinking the milk and eat the milk and eat the meat. Um, and it's all important in our, in our holiness and knowing that this is not God's plan. This is God's plan over here. And you need to know and, and submit. You even brought up that word. You submit to what his plan is and what his word says. So, um, I think there's a lot of people that just like to ride the center, like, wherever it's easiest we'll just kind of stay yeah right boy here. i was going to speak to that point even before you said that last sentence but now i really want to speak to that point even if we don't and not if but when we don't understand god's reasoning behind his rules or behind something he speaks to us directly um if we don't really understand scripture I mean, I, I have a hard time with some scriptures sometimes because God seems kind of cruel and, you know, ruling from his throne up there. And, 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 and we, even when we don't understand and see the purpose behind it, or it, it just doesn't feel comfortable or whatever, I, I have found that every time I've gone ahead and just obeyed him anyway, eventually, most things are revealed to me and I go, Oh my goodness, mm-hmm. God, I see that you saved me from something that was really destructive right. for my life, you know, like usually a relationship with Absolutely. a man or whatever. So um the one thing that I, I still struggle about, and I know you're going to ask me about anyway, is um I, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest and transparent with you and your audience that I still struggle with not so much the death of my son, Bo, but uh, the fact that he struggled with mental illness, schizophrenia specifically, for 11 years before he died. Um, I think it's one of those things where I'm just going to have to wait. I'm probably going to mm-hmm. have to wait until I get to heaven, and I won't even have to ask the question. I think when we get there, we will know everything. Right. We won't have any questions. We'll just know. So I think mm-hmm. right now the Lord just wants me to trust him. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't throw that out as a cliche. I, I think it's something that I just, right. I have to make a decision to do. And I have decided to trust mm-hmm. him completely. Does it still hurt? Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't heal from your child dying at 31 years old you know, uh, suddenly in his sleep, you don't heal from that kind of a loss. Um, you learn to live with it and you choose to either become bitter and angry 
and wallow in your grief or you allow yourself to grieve for however long it takes. Mm -hmm. For me, it'll be the rest of my life. I will grieve, but it doesn't consume me every day. Um, God uses Mm -hmm. that as an opportunity to help someone else, to lift someone else up, Mm -hmm. to grab someone by the hand and say, you know what? Um, I know, you know, that I understand how you're feeling because I've been there Mm -hmm. and we belong to an exclusive club that nobody wants to be a member of. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't say this to you and give you this hug and minister to you and help you to feel a little better today. Had I not gone through it. So for this moment, for Mm. this moment and for you, I'm glad I went through this so that I can speak to you. Mm -hmm. I have a responsibility. Mm -hmm. I have a platform. I may have stood in front of a, Mm. of, of, of a mirror when I was a little girl with a hairbrush and pretended I was a great singer, you know, but now I'm singing because I have a higher calling and a purpose for that. I still love it and I enjoy it. But I get to speak to people mm-hmm. through music and I have a responsibility mm-hmm. with that, you know, whatever comes out of my mouth. And one of the videos that you're going to link to is a video about mm-hmm. um, the journey that my son was on with the stigma of the schizophrenia that he was diagnosed with. And it was a beautiful song. Thank you. It's called I'm Still Here. And when I wanted to write a song for my son, he was still alive Mm -hmm. and he was dealing with the stigma of his mental illness as well as just the mental illness itself. I think the stigma was the worst for him. He was Mm -hmm. 20 years old when he was diagnosed. So his entire 20s, he missed out on finishing college. He missed out on uh, having true love in his life, dating, um, getting married, having a career, Mm. children, Mm. you know, he just, he missed out on all of that. And that should have been a really wonderful time in his life. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it was, he was robbed of that. Right. And then when he was 31 and 10 months, two weeks and two days old, (laughs) he went to sleep one night and never woke up. Mm. He had a blood clot in his lung and then it was over. That was it. Very quick. Very quick. And 11 years of horrible, horrible suffering and struggle. And it was, I, I think mental illness is the most insidious disease ever. Mm-hmm. You, you can like cancer or something like that. You can't see it on an x-ray or an MRI. You right. know, it's almost ambiguous in nature. And mm-hmm. I always felt that if we could at least maybe have dealt with cancer instead, I know this sounds awful, but hear me out. If we could have dealt with something like cancer that we could actually see right. on the charts and on an MRI and then formulate a plan of action and get his full cooperation as the patient And our participation as parents and family and support and, you know, covered by insurance and however long it takes. And and that was not the case. We got this really ambiguous, insidious, life-stealing disease called schizophrenia. And he became the worst patient ever. You know, he would fight us the whole way, didn't understand what he was doing and ended up self-medicating and doing all kinds of things that were so uncharacteristic for him. And at the end of that, at the end of that, he died. He died. So I, I think I say all of this because I know right now I'm connecting. I'm connecting. Somebody's connecting with me that's Mm -hmm. watching your program right now and their heart is hurting and it's, it's breaking open right now. And they're Mm -hmm. saying, Oh my God, I went through that. I've experienced that or my child died and I'm, I'm struggling just to get out of bed in the morning sometimes. And I, I feel angry at God and I'm bitter and I don't get it. And I don't understand and all the what ifs, you know, and for me, I, I don't even have any chance of having grandchildren. You know, my, right. my husband, Randy has 
four kids and eight grandkids and counting. And every time he has a grandchild, I, I, I feel in that moment of the announcement that uh, envy, mm-hmm. you know, I won't have grandchildren and I feel envious. And then, then that softens and the Lord deals with me. And, and so mm-hmm. I think Stephanie, it's all about um, trust, trusting mm-hmm. God, surrender. Our lives are full of surrender every single day. Mm-hmm. We have to surrender something. I want to surrender to him. Mm-hmm. I don't want to surrender to the enemy. I've done enough of that in my life. Right. Absolutely. What a waste. What a waste of time. Mm-hmm. I'm not a Bible scholar. A lot of your audience, I'll bet you anything, they're not either. And mm-hmm. when I talk to Bible scholars, I absolutely love them. They're 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 so knowledgeable and I learn so much, but you know, it's pretty cerebral. And I mm-hmm. have trouble just containing it all in my little brain up here, you know. And I appreciate them so much, but I'm not a scholar, but I I know enough to know that Mm -hmm. God can be trusted, that his word is true, and that he will walk with you and see you through everything. And I've I've earned the authority to say that. Mm -hmm. I've, I've earned that. Losing a child and going through 11 years of mental illness with him, and and then also the destruction of a 28 year marriage and and seeing you know all of that fall apart and then i became homeless and had to live with my brother and then a year later my brother died of the same thing that my son died of really and, and oh yeah and just and then coming into covid and i had nowhere to go and it, it was it was awful and lost my house lost almost all my possessions and um uh, oh. If if I can say God can be trusted, and that's where you need to put your heart, that's who you need to surrender to. Um, yes. This is this is not a lecture or to tell anybody what to do. This is mm-hmm. me saying, testifying that He mm-hmm. can be trusted, and that if you put your trust Amen. anywhere else, you're going to stay in the mud. Right. You won't you won't have answers. You won't have relief. Mm-hmm. You won't mm-hmm. have respite. You won't have deliverance. You won't have healing. You just won't. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate because I know that that that's hard. I mean, I don't think I could. I know you've probably shared your story a lot, but, you know, we we've all experienced death in some way. You know, when we get up in years, our parents aren't very healthy anymore. Maybe our spouses and and I've known um, four people in the last two years that have lost a child and yeah. it's just heartbreaking. I sit there and I read their yeah. stories and I weep yeah. because I just, you know, it's one of those things you can't imagine happening when you're holding that newborn baby that you're only going to have them for 13 years, for 20 years, for 25 or 31 years. You, you never think that way. You think I'll be dead before they ever die. I won't have to, I won't bury my child. Yeah. They'll bury me, which is the way it's supposed to be. But yeah. But you know, when you were talking, I was thinking of the Psalms and, and we were talking about how Hebrew is very melodic. And I, I think of the Psalms. They used to sing the Psalms for various occasions. But when you look at some of David's Psalms, you know, he went through heartbreak. He went through so much in so many different ways. You know, his own yeah. son turned on him and then he, his, you know, just so many things happened. They lost a, bo- a baby before Solomon, just so many things. And so I think when you can read through the Psalms that he wrote and see that he stayed faithful, he still trusted God, no matter what he went through. And when he, when he was told he was going to be a king, but he was hiding out in caves to avoid being killed, yeah. you know, how many times did he doubt? Are you yeah. sure you're going to make me king? Yes, and that's a good point because people uh, tend to think, too, that unlike Job or David, that you're not ever supposed to say, well, why? Why did this happen? God can handle that. He can handle your questions. You can say, why? I don't understand. I've, I've said why many times. I've even gotten to the point where I feel angry, like, why, why, you know? 
but my heart always almost immediately softens. Mm-hmm. It's I think the struggle is okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jacob wrestled with an angel, which we now know, you know, we've been able to ascertain that that was probably Yeshua. Yes. Mm-hmm. He struggled. They wrestled. You know, we, it's okay to wrestle with God when you're having a problem or a situation or God forbid you're, you lose a child. There's something so unnatural about losing a child. Cause like you said, they're supposed to bury you. You're not supposed to bury them. You know, mm-hmm. they're supposed to have a good full long life. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the hope when you, when you birth them. And I want to, and I want to correct you on something when you said, because people say this a lot and I want to challenge that. You said, I can't, I can't even imagine losing mm-hmm. a child. Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. You can imagine it. You just don't want to. You don't mm-hmm. want to go there in your thoughts. Well, I miscarried. And so I, I do know what that's like. Yeah. I did that three times. <laughs> yes. It, and then, that's hard. Yeah. I remember the grieving. Yes. Yeah. So you, you can imagine it. You, you can imagine anything. Your, your mind is very vast and very large. And, and that's one of the problems is that people, uh, go to those dark places in their minds and they stay there and it cripples them. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to stay in a dark place. I don't want to. I want to walk in the light as he is in the light. That's what I was promised. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I want my son's life to count for something. So that's why I did a music video nine months after he passed away, almost Mm -hmm. 10 months. We, we released it because Mm -hmm. I didn't want Bo's life and then his suffering and then ultimately his death to be for nothing. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking when he died, it was probably within the first week. I remember waking up one morning and sitting on my bed crying and the whys were coming and the questions and the just the feeling of being abandoned in a way. And, right. and I just, I just remember trying to process, mm. trying to process that grief and realizing I, I cannot, I cannot stay there or I'll get stuck. Right. So I decided then and there that every day to give myself the freedom and the permission to ask why, to cry, to feel however I was going to feel, to be angry, to lash out, whatever I needed to do. But but I knew that if I ever turned my back on the Lord and walked away, that Bo's life would be for nothing my life would have no purpose and I would be out in the world that hates me. Wow. Why would I do that? So I, right. I stayed in his world, God's world. And I'm so glad I did because he mm. never, he never forsook me. He never left me. He stayed with me. I I know that he said in my, in my ear, you know, in my mind's eye, my heart, my ear, he spoke to me and said, I'm, I'm with you. And he demonstrated that one time really in a beautiful way. Um, it was a few weeks after Bo died and there was a congregation that loved Shalom, my band went to sing at, I think the year before that, before Bo died. And this woman, Stephanie, um, she contacted me after Bo died and she says, you don't need to contact me back or anything. I just want to know if I could have your address. I want to send you something. Mm. And what I got in the mail was a, uh, a hand knitted prayer shawl. Mm. And when I first got it, I didn't feel so much the significance of the gift, but they made a video in their church of dedicating that shawl. So she sent me the link and I watched the video and they announced that my son had passed away. Um, the congregation remembered who I was because we sang there the year before. And they prayed over that shawl. And the way they prayed was a, just a completely healing prayer. And that this mm-hmm. shawl, if I put it around me, would envelop me in God's love. You know, mm-hmm. I took that to heart and I took that shawl and I wrapped it around me every night. 
and curled up in a little ball and felt like God's wings. Like it says, you know, when Moses passed by mm. on the way up the mountain, that God took his wings and he covered Moses so that Moses would be protected. I felt like that prayer shawl was mm. wrapped around me like his wings, his arms. Mm. I needed that. Mm-hmm, I bet. Yeah, absolutely. So we can't imagine and we go to dark places, but we mm-hmm. we need to come mm-hmm. out of imagining mm-hmm. that. We need to come out of that and right. we live in the real world. And mm-hmm. um, the Lord is in the real world. He's not just a spiritual being up there mm-hmm. somewhere. You know, in right. Psalm 18, it talks about him getting so angry. Oh, I know. Enemies. It's my favorite psalm. Oh, that is become my favorite because one day when I was up on my mountain where I always used to go hiking and I was crying before the Lord and my whole life was falling apart. It was after Bo died. My marriage was falling apart. Everything was going away. I was losing my house and I was becoming homeless. And I was like, what's going on, Lord? You know, I've been your faithful servant, you know, and and, and I need a God that's going to defend me. And I had my Bible with me and I opened it up to Psalm 18 and I went, I started reading it and I was like, oh, that's what I need. I need you to be that God for me. And for those of you that don't know what Psalm 18 is, look it up. Read it. Read the whole chapter. But basically, it's yes. about God on his throne and he looks down from heaven and he sees me getting harassed by the enemy or enemies. And mm-hmm. those enemies were all kinds of things in my life, you know, lies and and different people and different situations and the enemy himself. And, and, and it says that he comes down out of heaven and he's got smoke coming out of his nostrils and fire. And he's got big black clouds under his feet. And he's, and he's on got, a cherub. Yeah. And he's got these uh, um, lightning Light- rods and he's mm-hmm. throwing them at my enemies as he's coming down. I'm just picturing this. I'm very visual. I know. He's coming very down cool. from heaven and he's ticked off. <laughs> he is angry that his daughter is getting harassed. He's mm-hmm. angry and he's my defender mm-hmm. and he's my warrior. And it says he comes down and he routes the enemy for me and they all scatter and they flee. And then he reaches down into mighty waters where I'm drowning. I'm drowning in the persecution and the fears and the loneliness and the grief and mm-hmm. financial hardship and rejection and abandonment. He's reaching down in those mighty waters and he pulls me out. I just wept when I read that, like I'd never read it before. I just mm-hmm. wept. There's somebody no, out there right now that needs to hear that. Go read mm-hmm. Psalm 18. That's your God. He's yes. your protector. He's a lover mm-hmm. of your soul. He loves you. But he's also just. David says he rescued me because he delights in me. You know, I mean, we all know David's story. It's all laid out in the Bible, but yet God delighted in him because his heart was was like God's. And we don't often think about that. But God wants us to have a heart like his where, you know, I mean, and we do have bad things. We're not promised a perfect life. We're not promised that we won't have suffering and sorrow and grief and woundedness, but, but he's there for us to help us through it because his own son went through it. His son was rejected. He was beaten. He was, how many times did someone want to take his life with throughout scripture? People all over the world, of course, who are losing their life for their faith. And, and I mean, it's just, I think it's just so eye opening to see when you read the Psalms that, and I, and I had a scholar that I do know, um, his name's Chad, well, I don't know him personally, but his name's Chad Bird, but he talked about the Psalms and that they are the words of Jesus. Like you can imagine Jesus saying some of these things and, yeah. and, and speaking them to you. And it, they're just beautiful. They're beautiful Psalms when you look at the suffering and the, the sadness and yeah. anger that's in them. David was human. The other writers were human. They experienced the same things we do. And like you said, it's perfectly okay to feel that. It's perfectly okay when we had trouble um, getting pregnant for the longest time. And um, 
for the first four years of her marriage, you know, nothing worked, nothing. It just was like, why God, why? And, and I was like where you were with your son, but I was like, why can't I have a baby? And, yeah. and I remember my husband, I'm, and I remember just looking at my husband one day and I said, I'm so mad at God. And he just kind of scooted over and I go, what are you doing? And he goes, well, when the lightning bolt hits you, I don't want to be hit. And I'm like, <laughs> no. You know, like, yeah, I'm right. I said, you don't think God already knows I'm angry? So yeah. what is the harm in saying it? What is- and he understands. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the point. But it was a lesson that I needed to understand. And it yeah. wasn't. And then I found out that it wasn't even about me. It was about my husband. <laughs> It was, I mean, I'm and I'm sorry. not saying that to make light, but yeah, no, but it was, that's funny, but <laughs> but he had to get to the point where he wanted a child and the Lord said, no, oh. you know how difficult it's going to be to give you a baby when your husband's not there. Oh. Um, You've had a, you know, ups and downs in your life. And, and I'm so glad that you're willing to share those. Um, But you've to. also had tremendous opportunity. The Lord has on the flip side of those things from yeah. the, the, pain and sorrow and suffering that you went through as a mom watching your own child suffer but he's also blessed you in so many ways and he's he's given you a new husband he's given you um you know grandchildren at least through through his side um but he's also you've been able to be a bridge and I love the way you put this for me at least but you you want to be a bridge between the church and the messianic community yeah, because your music is about Yeshua. It's about the 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 anointed one, the Messiah that yeah. we think of in in Hebrew terms. We call him Jesus Christ. Um, that's the Greek way of saying his name, which there's nothing wrong with. But yeah. you sing from that Hebrewness of who he was yeah. and who you've learned in your journey yeah. to explore those that Jewishness of your life and how it relates to your relationship. And was there a story that God woke you up in the middle of the night? Yeah. So um, I'll back up a little bit. I already Mm -hmm. shared kind of how I gave my, I gave my heart to the Lord when I was um, uh, 18, almost 19. I was raised in a secular home. Um, My mother was a self-proclaimed atheist. My -hmm. father was agnostic. My dad pretty much grew up in the, I think the Lutheran church or Methodist church. I'm not sure which. Um, My mother was from Holland. She um, was born in Amsterdam. And when she was nine years old, the uh, Nazis invaded her country and occupied for five years. My mother's maiden name is Bronstein. Yeah. Yeah. And my mother, I just found out a couple of weeks ago, actually lived about three and a half miles from Anne Frank. So they were in the same cluster of neighborhoods in Amsterdam. Um, My mother was raised by her mom and stepfather. And his last name was Wiernink, which is a Gentile name. Mm. So during the war, my mother had to assume her stepfather's last name. Mm. Not It wasn't legally done, um, but her mother was afraid that with the name Brownstein that they were going to be, um, oh, yeah. you know, carted off. <laughs> so so my, wow. my mother's Jewish lineage, which was never really important to the family, never emphasized, um, they didn't have any religious affiliations or cultural affiliations with being Jewish, just the last name. (laughs) And uh, so my mother was hidden in plain sight. Uh, Two years after the war, that's how my mother survived by anonymity in that way. Two years after the war, my um, mother and her sister and now her two-year-old little brother, um, they all suffered the loss of my mother's mother. She was 35 years old when she died of ovarian cancer. Wow. And um, that began the root of anger and bitterness towards God that my mother had. So I told her uh, just years before she died, I challenged her and I said, you're not an atheist. I said, atheists don't believe in God. You're mad at God. You can't not believe in somebody that you're mad at. Yes, there's a difference. <laughs> it's That's just true. impossible. You can't believe in, you know, you can't be mad at somebody that you don't believe in. 
So, um, but, but she maintained that he didn't exist and, you know, but why are you mad at him? She could never answer that question. So anyway, um, my mother passed away in 2012, but not before giving her heart to the Lord on her deathbed, mm. um, just with a nod. Um, I had time to share with her maybe one or two more minutes, the gospel, and, and she nodded. She couldn't speak, mm. but she nodded and looked at me and nodded her head. So um, my dad was in the throes of Alzheimer's at the time. So my dad only lasted about another 10 months after my mom died. Mm. He he just he just had nothing left to stay for, I guess. And, mm-hmm. and so he passed away 10 months after my mom. So the family was pretty devastated. We had our mm-hmm. matriarch and our patriarch missing and gone and so anyway, uh, I was raised in that home, that environment, and Jesus helped me throughout my entire childhood. I was very demonized as a child with nightmares and afraid of the dark and all these things that I know now were spiritual uh, entities and situations that were allowed into my life. I didn't have a spiritual covering or protection and nobody was praying for me that I know of and, right. and things were introduced into our lives and to my parents and whatever. And, and so I was really, you know, uh, open to being harassed by the enemy and I was harassed severely. And, um, I only survived that I think because I clung to this Jesus that I met in Sunday school when I was six. So for the next 22 years, I, spiritually grew up in Calvary Chapel and Foursquare denominations. Mm-hmm. And I got heavily involved in worship ministry. And I had my own TV show uh, called Rock of Ages. It was a Christian music video program on cable new on cable network, uh, not an international or a syndicated program, just a local program. And I interviewed all kinds of artists like Phil Kagi. And mm. uh, DeGarmo and Key and Whiteheart and Petra, Morgan Cryer, uh, Jamie Owens wow. Collins, who later became a, a, a friend, um, Steve Taylor, uh, Brian Duncan, you know, all these wow. big, big yeah. name people that I got back to in know the 80s. Yeah. Back in yeah. the 80s, you know, back in the day. And um, it was a lot of fun. And then I uh, cut my own CD. And I was still in my, I think I was 27 by the time I did my first album. It Mm. never got released. Um, My life kind of fell apart at that time. And, and then I, I got married and, um, you know, long-term marriage and everything. Um, But in that time of being married and I was married to a Jewish believer um, who never really connected with his Jewish roots, even though his father was hundred percent Jewish, his grandfather was a rabbi and a shochet. Wow. A shochet is a is a kosher butcher. And wow. he was a chazan, a cantor. Uh he never they never connected with their Jewishness, you know. Wow. But one day I had a conversation with my mother, twenty two years into my walk with the Lord, I had a conversation with my mother in her kitchen. And I said, Mom, I said, your maiden name was Brownstein. Isn't that Jewish? And I had asked her that 10 years earlier. And at that time, she said, no. This time, she said, yes. Mm. <laughs> I was like, what? She said, oh, yeah, but, you know, we're we're not Jewish. You know, so many, so many um, intermarriages and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's so watered down. And But I, I could not sleep for two and a half months, literally insomnia, just thinking about the ramifications of finding out that I have Jewish lineage. Later, I found out on my father's side as well. Moses and Labina Diesel Weiss were my great-great-grandparents on my father's side. So I found out I was Jewish and I couldn't sleep because how do I reconcile that? I thought never the twain shall meet. You're either Hmm. Jewish you don't know Jesus, you know, or you're a Christian and you're a Gentile. And I had mm-hmm. been raised as a Gentile and I didn't know how to relate to Jewish people. 
However, I know that Calvary chapels don't necessarily preach replacement theology. They're pretty good about staying away from that. Same with the Foursquare Church. And yet there were other churches and influences and teachers around me that were teaching replacement theology. I didn't even know what it was. But I Mm -hmm. never made the connection that Jesus was Jewish. It just never really dawned on me. And I think that's still true for a Mm -hmm. lot of Christians. And then once you do kind of question that and go, Jesus is Jewish. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be Jewish? So with the insomnia, I woke up one morning about four o'clock in the morning. It was raining cats and dogs here in California. And I sat straight up in bed and I looked up to my ceiling and I said, what? (laughs) What do you want? Why can't I sleep? You know, when you can't sleep Mm. for two and a half months, God's trying to talk to you about something. Right. I got dressed. I got in the shower. I got dressed. And I made my way over to Messianic Synagogue, Bethamunah, which I ended Mm. up staying at. Um, Rainy day and... um, I just went there and I started making those connections big time. Wow. Things felt a little different, but the same. It was the Mm -hmm. same God. It was the same uh, Jesus, but now they were calling him Yeshua by his Hebrew name. Mm -hmm. And I was okay with that. It took me about a year of saying it instead of Jesus to finally get used to it. But Mm -hmm. now I... Now I have a hard time saying Jesus, you know, I'm just not used to it. I go into churches and minister all the time and Mm. I'll make sure that my audience understands, you know, Yeshua and Jesus are the same guy, right? Okay. Just want to make sure you do. (laughs) And we're good. We're good to go. Um, So I, I went that morning and I never left Mm. and I was like by congregational for a while, but that got Mm -hmm. to be very intensive on my schedule uh, God finally called me full time into the Messianic community. And mm-hmm. by the end of the first year, I was now leading worship at the synagogue. And then in 2000, so that was 2003. And seven years later, uh, started recording my first album. Wow. That's really cool. Three albums now. Um, I have a partner. His name is Mark Keller. Not to be confused with Corey Keeler. <laughs> We're not married. <laughs> He's got a wife. I am a husband. And um I am uh my my like I said before, my my long term twenty-eight year marriage um fell apart. And um mm-hmm. I in twenty twenty, at the very beginning of the pandemic pandemic, I met somebody online, <laughs> which I never thought I would do. Um, all the way from Nashville, and his name is Randy, Randy Keeler. He's a musician. He's uh, a videographer, a software designer. Uh, he mm. works for a company remotely so we can travel, and we travel. We travel with Love Shalom. We travel ourselves. He's been a speaker and a teacher for 43 years, loves the wow. Lord. And when I met his mother, and I asked her a bunch of questions, and we found out that she also has Jewish lineage. So his grandfather, wow. his maternal grandfather is Matthew David Klein. Go figure. Okay. Go figure. How funny. <laughs> yeah. So we um we operate in the Messianic Jewish community. I fully identify with my Jewishness now. It's been 20 years. I I guess I better. We keep kosher. Um, we live a Jewish lifestyle. We also augment what we do by uh, visiting a local church here once or twice a month because we have a ministry that goes into the churches and makes the connections or builds bridges between mm-hmm. the church and the Messianic Jewish community, uh, primarily to help the church understand the spiritual roots and the depth right. of that, of their own faith. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I tell stories. Martin. Yeah, I'll tell a story from the Bible that will uh, include some historical context. Mm-hmm. 
And then they go, wow, I never thought about that story that way. Like mm-hmm. the story about the woman with the issue of blood. Mm-hmm. Most people don't understand that her goal was not just to touch the hem of his garment. Mm-hmm. I have a hem too. So what? What was significant about touching that spot on Yeshua, the hem right. of his garment? Well, when you come into the Jewish community, you understand that she was trying to touch his tzitzit. She mm-hmm. was trying to make a connection. The tzitzit are the fringes on mm-hmm. his robe that there was a commandment in the Old Testament that men were supposed to sew into their garment, their cloak, their coat, the tzitzit. And mm-hmm. it was to remind them of God's commandments. It was to help them to walk with him. It was an identifier and a qualifier. And she actually had to risk her life to work through the crowds, get down low, risk being trampled to touch Mm. the tzitzit because she knew that the commandments of God were for her. Her faith was strong. She knew that this was a man of God or son of God. I don't think she quite put it together completely until until she touched the seat seat she touched that and mm. she connected with the son of god and people don't understand that story they just think that it's you know he touched she touched his the hem, hem and mm-hmm. she was you know mm-hmm. healed by him and right. that's all true but there's so much more it's, there's yeah exactly there's, there's so much, much more, more to that. and it's a jewish context Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very Jewish. So yes. Well, we are about out of time, but I mm. so appreciate your time. This was great. We uh, we hit a whole gamut of conversations, different <laughs> topics, didn't we? We'll have to do a part. It's two. always good. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of times I have to because yeah. we never run out of time. But um, this was awesome, and I so appreciate all your time and your your transparency in talking about your son and your own life and finding Yeshua so I appreciate that so thank you you're welcome thanks for the opportunity to share very important that we do that I hope you enjoyed this week's episode you can find me at graftedjewishroots.com please check out my bible study jewels of hebrews on my website and I also have a facebook page under the same name join me every wednesday for a new episode of grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. Thank you for listening.